This is Parkinson's Awareness Month, and we'll be talking with someone who has a personal experience with Parkinson's disease. Zach Briggs works for KENS TV in San Antonio. I've known him for a couple of years, and I invited him on uh, to talk about his career in broadcasting, uh, the different places he's been over the last uh, decade that he's been in the business, and his time in San Antonio, and Parkinson's disease, and how he has a personal connection. You mentioned it earlier uh, that you were in Uvalde for the, the elementary school you know, tragedy that happened there. Next month will be the one-year anniversary, and, and you said that, that you're more than likely going to be back there for the one year. But back when it happened you know what i as when i worked in the business i never experienced covering that type of tragedy you know what was it like that for you being there you have a, a networks and and all these crews from all over the country and you're talking to families that were that were affected and lost you know some children or loved ones what was that like so the first the day it happened i i did not actually go to uh uvalde but i pr produced uh couple uh, straight packages uh, on reaction from social media political leaders in texas uh, but the following days i was there throughout the weeks and months and it was and again i never covered something as devastating as a school shooting in my uh, career and being there in this small Texas town where everyone seems like they know someone. Um, it was, and to see this elementary school surrounded by law enforcement and media and kind of this cascade of love from the community with the flowers pictures etc it was a an experience that i mean it was mentally draining at times but you gotta in this business realize you have a job to do and sharing the stories of those that lost loved ones talking with the officials to understand what happened press for answers accountability among everyone uh, you got to get into that that mindset but we're you know we're all human and we all have emotions so it was it was difficult i must say i mean i was there for a week uh, straight uh, doing early morning live shots with a photographer and talking about every day that oh this is the the funeral or rosary that's about to happen uh, this week or that that day and sharing how this child wanted to become a teacher or loved TikTok and you know, these small little children that had so much potential and promise in their lives and were contended to be loved and remembered each day, advocated for almost a year since uh, the shooting. So it, it, the mentally draining aspect was, uh, well, certainly stood out um, but other um, aspects i mean seeing the, the the flood of media from around the world i met folks from germany and uh, the uk mm -hmm. it was a international 
story. Right. I don't know if it's the. I don't know. It's a. It's a. It's a story that continues to. It's developed surprises um, regarding the accountability aspect, and then with the the Nashville Covenant School shooting, uh, people making those comparisons uh, to law enforcement's response, a quick response in Tennessee versus the response, seventy minute, seventy seven minute response to neutralize the target, uh, the shooter in Texas. So, uh, but the the day of and the the months after Uvalde, we're we're still doing stories. I'm I'm talking with families, whether it's for stories or not, just to see how they're doing. And you know, as we prepare for Uvalde, uh, the one year mark, I'm hoping to be able to sit down with some of the families and just, how are you doing? You know, what can the community do? Uh, what do you want? government officials, um, what can they do better? Hoping to do that story sometime in April and and to have a story ready to go for uh, the day of, because I don't know uh, what the, the wishes are of the families the day of. I'm sure they don't want to be bombarded, bombarded by law enforcement. Um, so be able to talk with those impacted uh, a month before would be uh that's kind of my goal so but yeah rob elementary shooting it is uh, 19 kids and two adults two teachers their lives just taken away senselessly right. and you know being in front of the school and seeing that the massive amount of support from around the country people driving by walking in front of the the school where the rob elementary sign is sharing uh, their their love uh, for people that they don't even know uh, I mean it's a, it's pretty heartwarming right. and you know, walking past each life-size photo of the the victims the the children and the teachers uh, something else you, you, you kind of got to be there to to really feel uh, uh, that impact and then they're at the town square of Uvalde around the fountain uh, multiple crosses a makeshift memorial was established in the in the the days shortly after and that's where I th the story really sticks out with me is it, it was the day after and that May 25th 2022 I was initially going there to do a story on one angle but as you know in the business things change and angles and stories change uh, so i was getting video of people writing their names and heartfelt messages on the crosses of 21 victims and i went up to numerous people but there was this one gentleman uh, he was the, the uncle an uncle of uh, jacqueline Cosidus and one of the children that was killed just the day before so not even 24 hours so you know speaking with him i, I just like who are hey what, what brings you here and said that's my my niece oh wow i just doubled to he's willing to talk and share um, how much 
she meant to him and meant to everyone else that she touched in her short life. It was definitely a privilege and uh, kind of kind of a surprise again because I'm just amazed that people that lose loved ones in tragedies are so not everyone, but some people are willing to talk to media, but perhaps it's cathartic in a way to to share how you feel. So I understand it from that perspective. But the Cosidus family is the family that I've interacted with the most um, since the tragedy a year ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see what it's like what happens on the on the 24th a year later right and i've tried you know i'm currently not you know working at a tv station but i things like this happen i try to it makes me wonder how i would deal with if i was a reporter there it's such a a tense hurtful people are hurting situation how do you know who you can talk to, who wants to talk, what questions to ask you, 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 and how would me as a father separate myself? This could have been at my kid's school and how it's, for me, it would have been very hard, I think maybe to separate myself. I mean, was there any challenging part for you navigating through all that? Certainly. Uh, I mean, I'm always, I treat everyone, um, whether, whether I'm in this, this business or, just walking around downtown. I mean, I'll talk to people and be careful with how I approach. So you, because there's some people in the business that just want to get the story and aren't as, I guess, caring or methodical when it comes to how you should approach someone. So it's very important, especially when you know, speaking with individuals in Uvalde, business owners, just general members of the community that maybe really don't want us there. Let's see our, all these cameras. I mean, certainly there was some of that, uh, nothing hostile uh, towards me at least. But it creates this kind of snow globe of tense moments at, at, at times and you as much as we don't want to be, feel like, I guess, from the outside, like intruding on this community, what well, we have to advocate for answers. What happened? Why did it happen? It's journalism. And you can do, you could pursue journalism in such a way that is caring and uh, thoughtful for for individuals, even for the individuals that are government officials, are school officials that are perhaps a little bit more hesitant to get back to you in a timely manner. Got to be aggressive, but you could be aggressive in a nice way. Right. Yeah. And please correct me if I'm I'm wrong, but is it safe to say that those stories you did in Uvalde were some of the hardest stories you had to do or stories you had to tell? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think coming to San Antonio kind of showed me how how important our job is in 
the world of journalism. And I, I've done several stories about death in Little Rock, Arkansas. So many shootings and homicides and knocking on the door of a, a grieving parent, being there on the scene before police even arrives and seeing neighbors surrounding their dead loved one. It's something else. It's, I don't want to be in that situation, but kind of a, if you really think about it, it's what, what we do is kind of, it's odd in a way. I mean, we're, we're telling news. We're, we don't want to seem like we're intruding on a, a dark, bad situation, but we're there to explain what's going on for others to, to read and or hear or see. Uh, it's, I'm still amazed, um, kind of at, at the concept of what we, of, of journalism, probably because I've just been in it for so long. I mean, not for so long, but it feels like a long time for me since 2014. You know, one of the, the main reasons I wanted to have you on our podcast was to talk about Parkinson's disease and just want to share a few numbers that I read yesterday that it said 1 million people in the U.S. are uh, living with Parkinson's right now, and it's expected to be 1.2 million by 2030. It's also said that 90,000 people are diagnosed every year with men having a one and a half greater chance of getting it, you know, compared to women. And and I know you have a, you know, a recent personal experience with, with Parkinson's, and I was, you know, hoping you could share that with you know, yeah, the viewers. Absolutely. So... On March 7th, my grandmother, Grandma Sharon, she she died of Parkinson's disease, and I was able to go over to Washington State to see my family and my grandfather, who was assisting um, my grandmother, uh, his wife, till her final days, her final breaths. And when I got the phone call from my mother, I was it was a Sunday, so it you know the days, the days exactly, but it was a Sunday, and just a few days before she died, and about to go to work the following Monday. I said, yeah, uh, Zach, your grandmother's going to be most likely uh, spending her last breaths here shortly. So, and I just made a decision to fly over, um, had the means to do so, and thankfully, very thankful that my work is able to understand. Um, for me to go over and see my grandmother. And yeah, it was a, unlike anything I've you know, experienced before, uh, someone, seeing someone that had a wealth of memories, fond memories with my 28, 29 years of life. And just to give a, kind of a picture of who she, my grandma Sharon was, uh, you know, so red hair and very, always had a smile on her face, along with my grandpa, Roger. And they really got me into classical music, jazz, theater, like community theater. They were growing up, they were both very into directing plays and acting in plays. We got my peak really exploded my interest into all those aspects of of art. I play the clarinet and I play 
all sorts of music. But thank, thanks to my grandparents, my grandma Sharon, they shaped my, I guess, my love for not only music but the news and and just seeing different things in life from their from their eyes. And I enjoy. I've always enjoyed learning from them. So to see uh, someone that I hadn't talked to since December 25th of 2022 in such a state, it was uh, very surprising and, and, and a comatose state. Um, so we all gathered a family that flew in from elsewhere as well to spend last moments. And it was, yeah, very, uh, very tough. But there was a sense of relief that I got to see her before she actually died on the 7th of March. And I did play my clarinet. I'm sure she heard it as she was laying down. I'm sure she heard uh, me playing, as, I think, Moon Glow. That's a tune that I prefer the version from Benny Goodman, mm-hmm. clarinet player, big band days. Yeah. I also played it's just something I made up. Um, grandfather recorded it shared with um, some family members but yeah it was it was sad but it was also a time to think about you know the importance of family for sure and it made me think about you know my parents and if, if they were to ever have something happen to them such as parkinson's or in other situation where they're on they're on their last leg know makes me want to be next to them you know right um but parkinson's disease very cruel and it 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 steals people's minds and their ability to talk i mean i would have conversations with my grandma and i'd be be doing a lot of listening and trying to engage um, with someone with Parkinson's, at least for my grandma, uh, she would be talking about something and words, trying to string together coherent sentences would be difficult. Uh, t- I'm asking questions is like ask, I'm asking questions about uh, I don't, seen any movies lately or been watching the news, what's going on in Seattle area. Yeah, and you could kind of get what she's trying to say, but this neurological disorder preventing her from being able to eloquently say anything. Right. So in that regard, it's very sad. But I think she, I never, I think she always knew who I was. I don't think she didn't know my name because the last time I talked with her was in 2019 and I was with my grand, uh, grandma Louisa for my, uh, Mom's side, her mother, we all met in Olympia or Lacey, Washington for a jazz festival. And I have some pictures of both grandmas and me and uh, in the stands uh, posing for a picture uh, at this traditional jazz festival. And there was no immediate signs of anything uh, then and there. So it, it the way, I, perhaps the way, I don't know the exact date of diagnosis or when the, the symptoms started uh, becoming apparent. 
from my grandfather's perspective, but at least for me, I mean, 2019 and then now it's 2023. I mean, wild how aggressive Parkinson's was at least on her and uh, her ability to, to live ability to live the way she wanted it. I just, yes, it's, it's a, it's a cruel disease and it makes me want to learn more about Parkinson's and I know Alzheimer's. I've done several stories on Alzheimer's. Uh, I mean, I mean, Parkinson's affects the mind as well, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's just interesting um, how this disease impacts the human body. And, and for some people, it's more aggressive than others. I mean, I, do, I don't know if there's any uh, cures out there, but it seems like the Parkinson's Foundation is one of those prominent organizations that's trying to bring awareness to ways of helping toward finding uh, a way to help those impacted or helping family members that care for those with the, the disease that's just debilitating but I was very thankful to be able to go back to Washington for a couple weeks and, and say hello uh, and and goodbye in a way uh, at least physically uh, to my uh, grandmother and uh, without if I didn't if I wasn't able to see her then I don't it still would have been obviously very sad uh, but it was important for me to, to be there and and see her in that state right. and, and, and i'm sorry no i was just going to say that was the first time i've ever seen a loved one die like right before my eyes so it's horrible but um yeah it's my grandfather's uh doing doing well it seems posting on social media and going to places where they traveled together and movie theaters they went to together or parks community theaters yeah uh, so it the the stage of grief the the long journey of grief is a big challenge for those that have lost someone that care deeply about someone, whether it's my, my grandmother's situation or the pandemic or a mass shooting. I mean, grief, I've done stories on grief as well. And yeah, it's everyone processes it differently. Um, but for me, I mean, it's uh, listening to music and looking at pictures of when we like, uh, did things together, yeah. hearing, hearing her in the background of YouTube videos of, of me recording on my cell phone of uh, bands that we, performances that we attended, like stuff like that is uh, helpful, helpful for me um, instead of thinking about the kind of the dark images of you know, seeing her in that state, but thinking about the fond, fond times. Right. Definitely. And this is, you know, Parkinson's Awareness Month. And I mean, is there nothing more effective at getting someone's attention than when you have that personal experience that brings awareness to you about this disease? 
yeah, it kind of catapults my interest to learn more, they said, about Parkinson's and, and the ways uh, I can help uh, toward the cause to, to providing some type of medical relief or to make it to help those caring for others. Parkinson's uh, among you know celebrities as well, I think, has helped bring awareness to the seriousness of how it can destroy someone's life and the lives right. Michael J. Fox, of others. We were talking about. Yeah, and Michael J. Fox is a, a, a big name for sure. Uh, yeah, he seems, I don't, I don't know for sure, but he's still talking and he's moving around and seems to be living life as best as he can. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Also, one of the big stories that I've covered, it seems like, since I've come to San Antonio, was you know, your uh, classmate, Jennifer Sue Delgado, and bringing awareness to her story and uh, the, the never-ending task to get answers and some type of closure. Uh, a little girl uh, that was stabbed to death uh, doing laundry with her mother, right. and and you're, you know, the foundation, um, uh, along with media reports, uh, getting you know, even national media involved, and I'm hoping that's going to be helpful for law enforcement uh, and governor uh, governorship across uh, Texas to. Find out what happened. Um, I mean that that story and stories continues to stick with me, and hoping that we could continue to learn more uh, about what happened to uh, the the person uh, that killed her. Right, and yeah, like you said, closure. Ultimately, you know, closure and finding out who did this. But if that aside, you know closure for me is just um maybe not closure but just closure but an ongoing uh serving the public through the the nonprofit organization you know helping youth with their educational needs uh keeping jennifer's story in the public's eye from time to time just so that it's not forgotten and right now the texas attorney general's office has a cold case unit that is still you know it's been a few months but i check with them check in with them like once a month and they say they're still working on it with san antonio police department and i know sapd has told me there's really not that much evidence to go off of and so for them it's kind of like at a dead end but at least getting some fresh eyes on it from the oag um a different perspective maybe seeing something that that someone else didn't see in the past. It's been 35 years and I just, you know, want to do what I can to to honor her, support the community and keep the cold case alive. Absolutely. And, I mean, there's oh, there's going to be that day potentially. I mean, it's happened with other cold cases where decades down the line, there's someone that has the knowledge of what's what happened and who did it, uh, kind of the smoking gun. Uh, of sorts right because the reports were that the the guy that did this got into a car driven by someone else and they took off so that person you know 
maybe someday could come forward. I mean, you never know. There's been cases where it's been 50 years and finally a cold case, you know, has been solved. So, I mean, there's always hope. But if not, at least I'm doing what I feel is my part of what I what I feel I have to do for Jennifer. And kind of lastly, uh, another big story that has stood out with me, one of the first stories I covered uh, was uh, in Garden Ridge and outside San Antonio, a cashier, she was uh, killed, shot and killed by an individual uh, that was demanding uh, money lottery tickets in the, in the video. You could see uh, uh, Pam Smotherman, her, her name, name, uh, the cashier, complying seemingly uh, with all the demands of the the suspect, and for whatever reason, he shoots and kills her. And then you see the guy take off, and this was in 2020, and her sister, Pam's sister, has been trying to talk with legislatures. Uh, and about what can be done to, I guess, make it safer for gas station workers. So, and at the same time, she's also trying to do more to uncover what, you know, what led to the shooting, where this suspect is. I mean, no names have come out, as far as I know, and the, the, the follow-ups I've done talking with Garden Ridge, but with police, Texas Rangers. It's, I mean, this is a case that seems to be going in a similar direction as Jennifer's. Right. I mean, at least with the Garden Ridge situation, we had security cameras, but even at that, I mean, there's got to be someone out there that knows who this person is. Yeah. But I don't know. It, it's, I, I can't imagine as, you know, like a class, a former classmate or a family member, going years and decades without knowing and that struggle, that pain. Right. I mean, I don't know how you, how you can move on with life. It, or I mean, airplane, commercial airplane crashes and never being found, and it's uncertainty. Uh, is the biggest, I guess, thing for me. But uh, yeah, it's we'll be pressing forward with you know, doing what we need to do as journalists to hopefully continue the stories of not only Jennifer Sudagato or Pam Smotherman, but but others that have stories that need to be told and make sure they're not forgotten. Yeah, and now seems more than ever. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, we had like Unsolved Mysteries or America's Most Wanted. But now there's so many podcasts and so many shows now devoted to cold cases. And you've been interviewed by some of those shows. Yeah, um, I mean, I forgot the name of the one that's apparently affiliated with uh, my company. But I've done audio uh, interviews uh, with people about, you know, not only... Jennifer Sudelgado or Pam Spotherman, but other cases as well. And then most recently, it was interviewed by Law and Crime Network because they're working on a they're working on a a piece about the Andre McDonald trial, which is he was convicted of manslaughter, not murder, for killing his wife years uh, three years ago, and 
yeah, it's uh, again, I'm not used to being interviewed, but I was able to talk about what I did uh, covering the trial and what I observed. And yeah, it's there's so many programs out there. I think this program, that long network is putting it together. It's going to be for A&E sometime in the fall, they said. So, I mean, so much work that goes into these these stories. It's amazing. It kind of makes me wonder. I mean, that's another potential avenue <laughs> I'd like to explore just like longer form journalism or documentary style storytelling uh, yeah. about anything, not just homicides or cold cases, but people in general. And I don't know what your, you know, future career aspirations are, and this is just my opinion, but, you know, I see, I could see you, you know, a network correspondent someday, and I don't know if you have aspirations for that, but I mean, have you thought about long-term in just in broadcasting where you'd like to go next? Yeah, for me, it's kind of about my, this curiosity about different, living different places. So I've lived in Montana, Arizona, Arkansas, and then now Texas, I kind of get two tastes of the South. Mm-hmm. And then I guess Southwest, right. count that with Arizona. Midwest, I've yet to explore. East Coast, I guess the East Coast would be fantastic. I mean, one day working for a station in Philadelphia or New York. But again, Seattle's also would be awesome to be closer to family and as I mentioned, after my grandmother's death, it reminded me and put, for, stressed my mind of how much I would love to be closer to family. Um, driving three hours from Seattle to Eastern Washington versus taking a, a plane and not getting to see them, my parents and others, only just like basically twice a year, um, physically in person. Always talking to my parents. Facebook Messenger and phone calls, but it'd be nice to be in the same state or neighboring state. But I've realized being in this business, it's the same job anywhere, basically. Market size really doesn't matter. I mean, it's about, for me at this point, the community, uh, how the station runs, uh, how the ship's operated. That's my... The amenities of the community, like San Antonio, has been fantastic. Still experiencing new things, and especially outside the, the city. I want to go to Fredericksburg one of these days. But that's kind of what, what I'm uh, – East Coast would be a great opportunity, but I'm very selective of the cities or towns. If it comes to the point where to get to it, this a, a town where I want – a city I want to live in and it's not in this business, then so be it. I'm still – I mean, I'm a, I have a, I'm an adventurer of sorts. I still wanted to explore, but Texas has been fantastic. Well, Zach Briggs, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. It was great having you on. As always, and hopefully we could talk again and maybe not anything else. And I don't know. I'm a big movie guy. I have a, I do a podcast with a couple of buddies of mine from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. They're out of the business now, uh, but uh, we talk about film and not just about the story, but the cinematography and the, I guess, kind of being nerds about how things are shot and 
well, how someone did something with this shot versus that. So you can't help it after, you know, being in the business and you know how it works from being behind the camera and then you watch a show or you watch a movie and you 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 know why certain things were done, shot a certain way and, and or or you can imagine how you would have done it if you were, you know, doing the filming. So Yes, yeah, so just the artistic side of movie making or TV shows is 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 wonderful wonderful and obviously people have their own styles in TV news. Mm -hmm. So Maybe that I'm looking forward to when we could talk about maybe styles of shooting TV news or yeah or favorite movies. I'd be I'd be down to do that. that. Now, if we talk about shows as well, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, the way cinematography. I'd love to talk about that. So awesome. Well, I'm yeah very thankful to be able to talk about uh, my grandmother and Parkinson's. Uh, very detrimental life-stealing disease and uh i'm able to talk about journalism and how it's evolved mm -hmm. my, my time in the business uh, not over yet uh for me uh as, as long as i'm able to tell stories in a, some capacity uh, that's i'll be happy i'm chris palmer thanks so much for watching take care